So I started writing this episode like two months ago in response to the Grammy nominations. Um, and it was going to be the first episode of this season. But fate and COVID-19 <laughs> was against me. And the Grammys moved their award ceremony, which defeated the purpose of trying to be topical by talking about award ceremonies. So now we're here. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of fascinated by award season. Originally, my interest stemmed from like a burning desire to look at sequined gowns, but now I'm kind of genuinely interested in the content. The ceremonies themselves are usually pretty boring, um, with the exception of like the MTV VMAs, uh, which are almost always chaos. But I do think they represent a pretty interesting snippet of things that we value culturally over a 12-month period, and they give a weird insight to where the industry places its own value. So I thought we could take a look at the 63rd Annual Grammy Awards. Uh, it's like the one year that I'm kind of hoping nothing like happens. There's no Kanye West versus Taylor Swift, La La Land versus Moonlight style drama, because I'm writing this in advance of the actual awarding. So if something big does happen, just know that I definitely have thoughts. You just don't get to hear them in this particular podcast. But please be assured, even if something big does happen, there's plenty of meaty kind of pop cultural theory to sink your teeth into here. I promise it'll be just as interesting. I'm Alex. This is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition. And today I'm thinking about the Grammy Awards. So, like I said in the intro, award season is this kind of strange chunk of the year, which at face value seems like a pretty bland thing to be discussing, uh, unless you're approaching it from like a who wore what, who said what mean thing about someone else's life's work kind of angle. Because without that element, you're mostly talking about like a televised circle jerk. A bunch of industry people sit around and congratulate each other on their own genius, the same piece of media is nominated in like nine different categories and it either sweeps them or it doesn't. People who are already famous get even more media coverage for their grace in accepting accolades, while people who work really hard behind the scenes are awarded in the non-televised portion of the ceremony, if they're awarded at all, and we continue not to hear about them. And uh, mostly I would be kind of fine to let that continue unbothered by my commentary. I say as though it will be bothered at all by my commentary. But this most recent round of Grammy nominations once again managed to spark controversy, as the nominees for the album of the year seem to be wider than ever before. On top of that, they managed to totally neglect hugely commercially and critically successful albums like The Weeknd's After Hours, which received no nominations at all, despite the album's lead single Blinding Lights being one of 2020's inescapable earworms and the album as a whole receiving overwhelmingly positive reviews. Allegations of racism have plagued the Grammys for years. They even forced the Recording Academy to rename some of the award categories in an attempt to kind of rectify the problem. But we all know that's not how fixing racial bias actually works. So, of course, the problem remains unfixed, and we continue to have like an annual controversy about the nominations. So this week, uh, I want to take a look at the Grammys' history, their track record with race and racism, and our relationship to awards ceremonies. 
Because the Grammys aren't the only awards show with this problem, and the prevalence of American awards shows in our broader cultural consciousness is unhinged at best. And you know how much I love to stare at unhinged American cultural phenomena and just, like, bask? It's like standing in front of the glow of luminous radium paint. It will rot me from the inside out, but it sure is pretty. Uh, (laughs) So something I learned while writing this is that the Grammy Awards were initially created as part of the Hollywood Walk of Fame project. Basically, aside from the fact that the creators of the project had too many stars but only a finite amount of footpath to embed bronze into... They'd also decided that the criteria for immortalization in concrete was the sale of one million records or a quarter million albums throughout the artist's careers. Having firmly decided on this absolutely foolproof criteria, (laughs) the committee immediately realized that many people that they considered to be icons or great artists did not actually meet the requirements and would therefore miss the opportunity to have their name forever embedded into the sidewalk. And so the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences and their associated award, the Grammys, was formed. Aside from the fact that this is a pretty fun tidbit generally, I also think it's a good illustration of the problem with awarding and recognition for achievement for subjective stuff like music. That is the problem of how to actually do it. The Grammys were already compensating for the fact that a series of completely arbitrary criteria had excluded artists that the judges liked from reward and recognition. And as a solution, they designed an awards ceremony with a different set of arbitrary criteria to give or exclude artists from reward and recognition dependent on who they liked and what category those people fit into. So much like the Oscars, the Grammys are based on a voting system. For entry into the awards, media companies and some individuals who are members of the Recording Academy put forward entries in a specific set of categories, which are then reviewed to ensure the entered work actually meets the criteria for that category. The five entries with the most votes in each category then receive a nomination. These nominations are then put to vote with the broader members of the Academy who are encouraged to only vote in the categories within their field of expertise and are limited to voting in the four general categories, which includes awards like Album of the Year and Best New Artist, and nine additional categories. The actual awards on offer have fluctuated over the years. At one point, there were over 100, but they usually only televised 10 or 12 considered to be the main awards, which include Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best New Artist, as well as popular genre categories like pop, rap, and rock. Perhaps as a reflection of their origin story, nominations, voting, and awarding are supposed to be based on quality of the music and not other factors like sales or company loyalty or personal relationships. Of course, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and in its 63-year history, the Grammys have weathered a number of accusations of racial bias in the nomination and awarding process. I'm going to start by looking at the numbers before I go into specific snubs to give you some idea of the scope of the problem. According to the Wikipedia page titled, Accusations of Racial Bias in Grammy Awards, and you know it's never a good sign when your racism-based controversies have their own separate Wikipedia page. But since 1957, only 10 black artists have won the Album of the Year award. 
In the decade between 2007 and 2017, only 17 non-white artists were nominated for the award. And the only non-white winner was Herbie Hancock in 2008 for his album of Joni Mitchell covers. When these figures are brought up, the knee-jerk defense from a lot of people is to lean into this idea of awards ceremonies as somehow being objectively fair and equal. So-and-so didn't win something not because of any racial bias inherent in the system, but because there were other, better cultural products out there that deserved awarding. I think we want to believe that awards ceremonies are objective, because if they aren't, then it calls into question every piece of reward or recognition we've ever received. The pat on the back the boss gave you, that best and fairest trophy, the award from your year two teacher saying that you're a good boy, they can't be meaningless, can they? Look, the answer is yes. Um, (laughs) The older you get, the more those awards are designed to keep you grateful to the workplace that imprisons you and to stop you from asking for actual meaningful change like a pay rise or better working conditions. But (laughs) that's not the issue here. (laughs) The issue is that we know that award ceremonies are made up because we invented the rules for them. In the case of the Grammys, there's a facade of democratization that hides the completely arbitrary nature of the whole thing. But like, we just made up those categories. (laughs) They change all the time. The voting rules include weird subclauses about what constitutes a commercial release or a new artist, and they can change at any time. So of course, they're bound to reflect the same racial biases that are apparent everywhere else. But in terms of illustrating what racism looks like at the Grammys, genre is probably a really good place to start. I've spoken on this podcast before about the fact that hip-hop is the biggest genre in the world right now. Seven out of ten of the most streamed artists in the world are rappers. It represents billions of dollars and millions of fans, and perhaps unsurprisingly, unless you are a racist who lives under a rock, some truly interesting and groundbreaking music. Genres like hip-hop, rap, and R&B, which are pioneered by and dominated by black artists, continue to be snubbed in the general awards categories. Despite their enormous commercial popularity, their innovation over the past decade, and the fact that every white artist trying to add a little bit of extra oomph to their bland pop song will hijack something from them. It took until 2004 for a rap album to win Album of the Year. It was Outkast's speaker box, The Love Below, in case you were wondering. And to quote Ira Madison III in The Daily Beast, it was likely because white people really love Heya. <laughs> and as a white person, I can confirm that this is very likely the case. We fucking love Heya. But my point is, rap music existed prior to 2004. It was good before 2004. And its mainstream popularity was well on the rise before 2004. What it took for it to be acknowledged and awarded was a song that received a lot of commercial airplay and which was a broad-spectrum hit that touched a pretty significant nostalgia factor with a lot of white audiences. Beyond the fact that so few artists of colour are even nominated in the large general category awards like the Album of the Year, the Grammys are also often criticised for sidelining these artists into really heavily racialized categories like urban R&B or Latin, 
many of which don't make it to the final televised ceremony. Now, in a sort of half-assed attempt to address this criticism and, I don't know, respond to the world around it or something, the Grammys made some name changes in 2020. They removed the Best Urban Contemporary Album and replaced it with Best Progressive R&B Album and renamed the Best Rap Slash Sung Performance to Best Melodic Rap Performance, whatever that means. It seems like an attempt to acknowledge both the changing of genres and the fact that there are some pretty significant racial connotations inherent in referring to historically black genres of music as urban, until you realise that they just moved the word (laughs) into one of the Latin categories. They renamed the Best Latin Pop Album to Best Latin Pop or Urban Album. (laughs) NPR pointed out that on the same day the Grammys made this announcement, Latin news and culture website Remezcla announced that it would cease using the terms urbano and musica urbana. Again, apologies for my terrible Spanish pronunciation. (laughs) Decided that they were going to stop using those terms to refer to reggaeton, Latin trap, dembo, and other genres generally classified under the same umbrella as these are terms that are inextricably linked to a history of exclusion and segregation within the music industry. Tyler, the creator, said it really well during his acceptance speech for the best rap album for the genre-smashing Igor. It sucks that whenever we, and I mean guys who look like me, do anything that's genre-bending or anything, they always put it in a rap or urban category. Compounding this problem is the fact that whenever white artists are entered into these sidelined categories, they tend to beat out artists of colour. To pull another stat from Madison's article, did you know that white rapper Eminem has won Best Rap Album for every year that he's been nominated bar once when Kanye West's universally acknowledged work of genius, late registration, beat him out? Here's a list of people that Eminem has beaten for best rap album. (laughs) Missy Elliott, Nas, Busta Rhymes, DMX, Most Def, Common, Dr. Dre. (laughs) The idea of anyone thinking that Eminem could possibly be doing anything better than Missy Elliott at any given point is offensive. But beyond the slights for individual artists, it also points to one of the issues with the voting system, namely that the Recording Academy tends to vote for people who are recognisable, and Eminem is white, visible, and loudly controversial. So when he's pitted against people who, despite being famous and well-respected within their genre, have not achieved the same level of success in a mainstream white market, then people who are going to fill out their voting categories are more likely to choose those artists. If you listen to the first episode of this podcast, you may remember that Macklemore has also won Best Rap Album one year. Do you want to know who was nominated in the same year? Drake, Jay-Z, Kendrick Lamar, and Kanye West. It's one of the most obvious examples of the levels of white mediocrity that are not only tolerated but rewarded. Kendrick Lamar's album Good Kid Mad City is widely recognised as being an artistically rich and weighty debut album. Not that I put too much stock in this kind of thing, but it's been included on a bunch of best albums of the decade, albums to hear before you die type of lists. 
because it's that good. What do you remember about Macklemore? <laughs> Probably the inescapable earworm that was Thrift Shop, uh, which was used in commercials, movie trailers, was parodied endlessly, and was generally more commercially successful as a single than anything that was released off Lamar's album. Although, to be fair, Lamar's album has been much more commercially successful over time, uh, probably due to the fact that it's actually a good album and not just a single with some supporting tracks. But Macklemore's commercial success, uh, driven by his whiteness, made him more recognisable and more likely to sway the vote in a category otherwise dominated by artists of colour. Now, correlation is not the same as causation, but once you outline those types of structural problems within the categories and the voting, it feels much easier to point towards specific snubs and draw a line to why they happened. But of course, it's not that simple. (laughs) See, when I said that people are weirdly defensive about awards, they're even less accommodating of people they consider to be bad sports. Artists can absolutely speak up about flaws or inadequacies within the system, but they'll have a really hard time making it look like anything other than sour grapes for the general public who either don't understand the flaws in the voting process or don't care about them. And I think that's something that the Grammys kind of count on too. At this year's ceremony, for example, The Weeknd received no nominations in any category, despite the overwhelming success of his well-reviewed album After Hours and the completely inescapable nature of its lead single, Blinding Lights. Where does a genre smash of an album like After Hours sit? Usually, personally, I would call The Weeknd's music haunted strip club music, uh, which is tragically not a category. But if the Grammys ever wanted to revamp their image, they should give me a call. (laughs) Given the nature of the album, it kind of makes sense that it would be nominated in a pop category. But all of The Weeknd's previous wins have been in now-defunct categories like urban contemporary. And instead of understanding that a black man using 808s is not always inherently a rapper, the process has locked him out of both the pop and the R&B categories. And when he was vocally upset by this, he essentially got a very public dressing down message from the Grammys that some members of the public seem to really get on board with. I wonder why. (laughs) It's racism. If you can't say anything without having a bunch of angry people on the internet dumped down your throat, what's the alternative? Well, you could do a Beyonce and never ever make a public statement about it. (laughs) When Lemonade was released, it was hailed as a truly exceptional piece of art that combined music, performance, and cinema to make something that was original and genre-melting and wonderful. It was nominated for Album of the Year. Adele's 25 won, in a move that seemed to make even Adele really uncomfortable as she desperately babbled about the fact that she couldn't accept the award. It's such a significant snub that it has its own section on the Grammys Wikipedia page. Beyonce's response, as it has been for every one of the many awards snubs that have come her way, was silence and a doubled-down commitment to making exceptional art. A year later, we all got to watch as Baychella happened um, and just stare in awe at the incredible artistry. But I can't imagine that's kind of an emotionally satisfying position for Beyonce to take all the time. 
there must be points where you want to scream and hurl your like 19th best contemporary R&B Grammy at someone's head. It's the catch-22 of being an artist in this position. An artist can choose to be graceful in defeat by the system or mouthy in defeat by the system. One option means that the system continues to walk all over you, and the other option means that the system continues to walk all over you, but with even pointier shoes. I think, ultimately, award shows like the Grammys, while unfixably (laughs) broken, are really only serving as a microcosm of broader industry issues, specifically the prioritisation and the continued success of white artists in all genres at the expense of black artists and other artists of colour. And while they're a fun excuse to watch a series of melodramatic performances on a really expensive stage, you've got to ask what the continued point is if they're not only going to undermine the artists that they claim to serve, but also tarnish their own reputation in the process. Well, those were my thoughts on the Grammys. Uh, You can copy-paste most of this over to, like, the Oscars. (laughs) or any other major award ceremony and see the same series of issues. Except the Oscars did have that great moment where they accidentally awarded La La Land and then had to hand everything over to Moonlight. And occasionally, what I like to do is just revisit the screenshots from that moment and zoom in on everyone's face and think, yes, yes. So, uh, (laughs) if you have a favorite award ceremony moment, or thoughts on how we can destroy reward and recognition ceremonies in corporate workplaces, talk to me about it next time you see me at the pub. Peace. That's been in my head fucking all day while I was writing this. It's a fucking nightmare. Anyway, bye.